Stop. It's too early. Stop. His name is Zion, Zion Malik. No. <laughs> Where did you get Zion? Are you talking about Zayn Malik, the singer from One Direction? <laughs> oh, uh, I just put. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah. Bad boy. Zayn Malik. Welcome to Take Me to Coffee. This is a mentorship podcast for the digital age. For the doers, the builders, the people who are making things from the ground up. From movie stars to blog writers to Instagram creators, in this day and age, we have something to learn from everyone. Andrew and I know that the best part of a coffee date is getting personal with someone who has been down the road before you. So this podcast is your weekly chance to pick the brains of some super smart people. You're going to soak up a whole lot of inspiration along the way. What coffee are you drinking today, uh, Andrew? You know exactly what I'm drinking. <laughs> I-N-T-E-G. I'm going to fucking... Uh, I don't even know how to spell intelligentsia. I'm just going to say you know what it's in. Intelligentsia. Here's the deal. So I was having a coffee meeting with someone, and she had listened to the podcast in preparation. Her name is Margaret. Hi, Margaret. Shout out to Margaret. What up, Mars? Yeah, and she was like, oh, and I love that Andrew drinks intelligentsia every time. It's my favorite coffee. And I was like, what is the fucking deal with everybody being obsessed with Andrew sticking to his guns about the coffee? Just saying, if you stick to your guns, people will not tell you what to do. Nobody tells us what to do. It's true. But I told her, like, nowhere have I ever seen, a, I don't think it's a metaphor, whatever it is, so indicative of the difference between Andrew and I's personalities. Andrew, like, same coffee all the time, very regular, do the same. And I'm, like, every time trying something new. Like, that is pretty indicative of our personalities. Yeah, I think so. I'm the old stalwart bulldog Winston Churchill yep, type. Yep, You're just yep. a fly by the seat of your pants, Queen Elizabeth II, <laughs> just really going out there, Ooh, tearing it up. I like that. Look what tearing I have. Tearing it up. Ask me what kind of coffee I'm drinking. Hey. What kind of coffee are you drinking? I got this. If you're watching, it's La Colomba. Have you ever had that? Colombe? I believe I have. Look at this beauty. Oh, snap. Oh, here's the deal. I do not do Black Friday at all. But on my Instagram, a big deal came off of like the gift packs with La Colombe. They include the Fishtown blend. Fishtown's a neighborhood in Philly, if you don't know it. And last year, we stayed in Fishtown and I found that coffee. It was so fucking good and i can't find anywhere here in new york that sells the fishtown blend so i bought my very first black friday deal got that three pack of la colomba coffee which is amazing (laughs) are you uh, what do you do for green monday what's green monday cyber monday it's green monday green yeah i just made that up because you're not actually out buying paper products you're like online just like getting stuff in a green way you said that so confident oh my god green monday hate you. You're so weird. Yeah, I just came up with Green Monday. You should be excited about it. Cyber Monday is irrelevant now, right? Because like fucking Black Friday is just online. Emily's nodding her head. Yes. Well, I think Emily's nodding her head to like, I was right in saying Green Monday. I think that's what she was also in reference nodding her head to. Sorry, if you just want to turn your mic on, Emily, and chime in on this conversation, I know I would certainly be appreciative. I don't think she wants to be a part of it. Yeah, please. Cyber Monday is just all week now. It's all day, all the time. Yep. But is it not also Green Monday? No, Andrew. <laughs> Never heard of that one. 
That's because he just fucking made, made it up. Because I just made it up. <laughs> I want to talk through something live on the podcast we have not talked about yet. So I had a friend, well, someone I know who is listening to the podcast. I actually had a couple people say this, that they listened to the bonus episodes, which we mm. did. You can find mm. back a few episodes. That's good to know people are listening. I know. <laughs> and I just was like, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> no, no, no. Really? You got into our extra content? Cool, yeah. cool. Thank cool, you. Cool, thank cool, you, cool. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> so if you don't know, the first three episodes we ever recorded, we put out as bonus episodes so that we pull the curtain back a little bit on what it's like to make a podcast. And the first episode that we ever did with our friend and actor Jermaine Blackwell was so bad that we couldn't actually release it in its entirety. And we chopped it up and did like a little mystery science theater commentary track over it. The feedback I got from someone was that they really enjoyed listening to us learn as it was happening. And they felt like it was like a really cohesive part of what this podcast is. So I thought that was a great piece of feedback. And in that spirit, I wanted to talk about the way an idea starts and what it becomes over time when you're flexible enough and open enough mm-hmm. to pay attention, right? And like to listen yeah. and to observe and to iterate. So when we started this podcast, all three of us are talking and we're like, look, podcasts take a very long time to pick up traction, like generally 10 years. So we looked around and we thought, what can we do about this to speed it up a little bit? Well, we know all of these people who are digital famous, basically, right? Instagram influencers, YouTube content creators, people who are like famous on the internet, but maybe not like traditionally famous. So let's just like go for all of them as our guests originally. And that's kind of how the mentorship podcast for the digital age came about. Mm -hmm. It was like half strategy and half we really love all these people and we know they have interesting things to say, right? Would you agree with that, Andrew, or thoughts? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Uh, Uh, You know, it really takes me back to a thought that I had just a few minutes ago, actually, about Green Monday. Oh, my God. And I feel like (laughs) Green Monday is something that we can get off the ground just like we got this podcast off the ground just by talking about it. But I can't really keep going with this. I'm just fucking around. Do you know what's going to make me the maddest is if just like everybody's so obsessed with you having intelligence, yeah, we start getting like tweets and Instagram messages about how behind Green Monday they are. I'll kill you if that happens. I've already made three fake accounts and posted (laughs) content about Green Monday (laughs) just in the time that we've been sitting here. Okay, so what I was thinking about yesterday is like in our intro, right? We say, welcome to Take Me to Coffee. This is a mentorship podcast for the digital age. It's for the doers, the rule breakers, and the people who are building it from the ground up. And I was just thinking a lot about that because that is certainly true. Yeah. But I got to thinking, when you move away from the strategy, the thing that I ask corporate folks all the time when I work with them as a storyteller is to figure out what they actually care about, right? Or what the actual story is behind something. I wrote down in my notebook, TM2C is a mentorship podcast for the digital age where we believe we have as much to learn from TV stars as someone who writes a blog about sexual purity. And I realized yesterday, that's at least for me, that's actually what is true about this podcast. And that would continue to be true as we grow and have access to more people. Is that like categorically, should Lin-Manuel Miranda be like, yes, I will come on your podcast For us at the core, we believe people have a shit ton to learn from Lynn, but we also believe they have a shit ton to learn from today's guest, Maddie Jo Cousert, who's an actress in New York City in her late 20s and who writes this Mm -hmm. really successful blog about growing up in like a culture of sexual purity. You know what I mean? And she's not as famous as Lynn traditionally, but I really believe we have as much to learn from her as we do him. I, I absolutely agree with that. I think there's not dependent on what your level of fame is or your level of notoriety. Like your message is still your message. Mm. So mm-hmm. us recording this podcast is like the reason that we do this. So the reason that I do this, it, it's about the truth, right? It's right, your truth. Right. It's about what you're bringing to the table. 
And I think that's exactly the truth with Maddie or Lynn Manuel. Like they're equal in my eyes, right? right. You right. may know more about Lynn because he's done something that is, you know, become a phenomenon. He's extremely talented, very charismatic. But then Maddie Joe is too. Right? right? She's got her audience. He's got his audience. And she's an expert in something different that just doesn't have the ability to like scale how famous she is. Well, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. But at the moment, she's not right. doing it to be as famous as Lynn. But that doesn't minimize the wealth of knowledge she has and her perspective, like you said, and her story and the new yeah. ideas she sparks when you talk to her. Right? Exactly. And this is, I mean, that's what was so brilliant about this episode, I think, is that she did inspire so much conversation. And again, we like, we talk forever. Our producer's going to have to chop the shit out of this episode because there's so much great content <laughs> about so this. We find these people out there, wherever you may be, we're going to find you and we want to talk to you about your experience. We want to talk to you about your audience because there's an audience for everybody. Somebody wants to hear my bullshit about intelligentsia. Somebody <laughs> does, clearly, because there's people writing in all the time being like, Andrew's amazing. Andrew's this, Andrew's that. I'm like, I'm not amazing. I'm just sticking to my guns. I'm doing my thing. I right? just want to be really clear that I have not gotten one message from anyone that said you were amazing. Just so we're clear. All right, maybe I put that on there. Maybe I said that. You know what I mean? It's maybe I want to prop account. myself up a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Green Monday. Green Monday is real. Green Monday is real. Hashtag Green Monday is real. But, but I love that everybody's got a story. And when you're committed to your story, it's like, it's so much more interesting to hear somebody talk and emote about something that they're interested in than it is to hear somebody rattle off information. Yes. Right? Yes. And what you just said about like, just tell your story, tell your story is such a good segue for today's guest because holy shit, this girl tells her story. <laughs> Our guest today is Maddie Jo Kausert, who is an actress and a writer, and she's got this blog called God, Sex, and Rich People. And, and this is a quote, highlights the details of navigating adulthood as a recovering purity ring wearer Midwestern evangelical in New York City. <laughs> like identity crisis central right yeah this was a crazy episode where both andrew and i learned a lot let's we're just gonna get right to this episode it's already sort of a long one but it's super worth it so don't forget before we go on if you'd like to be a guest on tm2c and leave a question for our folks you can head to twitter and follow tm2c podcast to leave us a video ask you can also suggest people just rounding back up really quickly to our conversation at the top of this episode for us, we have booked so many people that were recommended to us by our friends and family, our listeners on the internet. We really do do that. So please tell us who you love to follow on the internet, who you watch on YouTube, and we'll hunt them down and have them on the podcast for you. Anybody. I mean, anybody you think is interesting, anybody who you're into, anybody you want to hear from, um, we're going to ask them the, the tough questions. We're going to ask them easy questions. We're going to ask them tough questions, see if they like Green Monday, if they don't like Green Monday. God damn it. But you know what? We hope you enjoyed this episode of Take Me to Coffee with Maddie Joe Casser. <laughs> God, I see, I see that you're drinking from a Winnie the Pooh cup. I we am. will take you to Pooh Corner. <laughs> I love Winnie the Pooh. I have Pooh, um, like when I was born, I don't really know the story. Everybody's got poo when they're born, Jess, okay? I know! Uh, <laughs> wait, so I don't know the story, but I found them in the basement when I was cleaning out my parents' basement, but I have, when I was born, they were gifted two, like, wood wall hangings that Winnie the Pooh is carved into, like, a scenes from <sighs> yeah. Winnie the Pooh. One of our very smart friends told me to put them over the toilet, so they're totally <laughs> over the toilet. They're from, like, 1980, and they're amazing. Amazing. Yeah, these are from 1997, so, like, sort of vintage. Nice. <laughs> no, a friend of mine got me them for my birthday. I guess his mom had them and was like, 
do you know anyone who would want these? And he was like, yes, Maddie Joe. Because, you know, I have a Winnie the Pooh tattoo. Oh, right. Why do you like Winnie the Pooh so much? Uh, because he's just the embodiment of innocence and creativity and wonder and love and joy. I just think he's so great. Everything you want to hold on to about your childhood that gets like beaten out of you, that's what Winnie the Pooh represents. And, you know, then you see like the memes that are like he's all about body positivity, like he doesn't oh. wear pants. He's in, he's in a crop top and he's just always like shoveling sugar into his face. So I love him. He's so great. Hashtag we're all poo. <laughs> yes. So I want to just back up for a second. Maddie Joe. we talked in the intro. You're an actress. You have a blog. You're a writer. But could you just actually give us a quick outline of who you are and what you do? Because there's no way we explained it as well as you'll explain it to everyone who's listening. <laughs> yeah. So I moved to New York City to pursue musical theater professionally. I guess I was here for like a year and a half when marriage equality passed. Mm. I have always written. I have like boxes and boxes of journals. I think I consistently started writing in seventh grade. Like I can go back home and I know exactly my first journal. So I've been writing, but never publicly. I never considered myself a writer. But then marriage equality passed and I was like, I have a lot to say about this because this Mm. was like the beginning of me really questioning what I was taught was like when I went to college and suddenly I was like friends with all these gay people. And I had a gay uncle and he was always kind of talked about like as if we constantly needed to be praying for him. Yeah, I always was taught that being gay is a sin. This is kind of a a side thing. But in college, I was talking to like a Bible study leader about sexual purity, you know, the big topic. And I was telling her that I kept having lesbian sex dreams because she was like, you know, you don't need to masturbate. Like, and I was like, what about dreams? Like involuntarily, I'm just always having these lesbian sex dreams. And she was like, oh, you really need to pray that the Lord gets Satan out of your mind because that's like an infiltration. And I was like, I got a lot of thoughts. I got a lot of thoughts. One question in case I'm not the only dummy who doesn't know this. Uh, sexual purity as a concept. Is that like uh, abstinence? I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> you dirtball. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> so sexual purity. Well, I'll go back to this. So basically, I wrote this piece called God and the Gays. And I don't think I have had more hits on a Facebook post ever since that. And people were like, are you going to write more? Girls from my church who are now out We're like, oh my gosh, amazing. Can you write some more, yada, yada? And I had kind of thought like, yeah, I think the life I've lived in New York City thus far is pretty retelling worthy. Like it's pretty interesting in my opinion. But regardless, I just started writing and it really took. People were really into it for Mm -hmm. a long time. And I think this is probably just from college training and everything. I just looked at myself as a performer. Once I started writing, I was like, oh, I'm actually a creative Like, I'm an artist. I'm a storyteller. And so that became my outlet. And that also kind of helped me get out of musical theater because I realized, oh, this is not the way that I like to tell story. My blog has just kind of been this way that I have a platform to talk about issues I'm passionate about and also have like a creative outlet as well. So the blog is called God, Sex, and Rich People. And sexual purity is the idea. It can go to 
great lengths, but it's basically the idea that a woman should save herself until marriage. She should only have sex with her husband. So yes, to an extent, it is abstinence, but it kind of takes it lots of steps further. And since it's biblically based, not just only have sex with one person because it'll keep you from getting STDs and or pregnant when you don't want to, which is what we learned in my abstinence class. It's biblically based, so you shouldn't even think sexual thoughts. Being lustful at all is bad because then it will lead you to wanting to do passionate, pleasurable acts. And then on your wedding night, after all of those years of oppressing every single sexual thought and or feeling you've ever had, you're just supposed to like unleash the beast and be able to like fuck till the morn with your new husband. That is basically what we were taught. So that sexual purity. I am gobsmacked. <laughs> I I want to know more about this abstinence class. Yeah. One, I've got so many thoughts. And I want to kind of inform our, our listeners, uh, just a touch of your background. I have in the show notes here that you were raised kind of an evangelical Midwestern household slash school slash, you know, kind of a little community. What was that about? Can you explain that just a touch for, for yeah. people out there? So I grew up the youngest of four, a standard Midwest family. You know, we've got lots of space to fill them with children. Um, my parents were married very young. They went to a Baptist college. They got married when they were 19. They are happily married. They are a wonderful, wonderful couple. So I feel very fortunate to have grown up with two very, very loving and supportive parents. But my dad was in the ministry. I just grew up around, like church wasn't just this thing we maybe went to every other Sunday or on holidays. It was like my life. In high school, because of the culture, it was very extreme. There were like the kids who partied and had sex. And then there were like the purity angels, which was like me. Oddly, the like church girls were actually the popular girls at my school. So like me and my two best friends, we were actually very well liked. So church wasn't this thing I had to do. It was something I wanted to do and I was glad to do. I had a really strong community and I felt like it it pushed a lot of really great things in my life in terms of like always include the outsider, have empathy, be compassionate, give of your time and money, no matter how little you have, service, you know, charity, um, mm. importance of community and, and being a really good friend. All of those things were instilled in me from church. But then there was like the ugly face of it. And now I want to get to abstinence class. <laughs> We're just like fascinated that there's like an actual yeah. class devoted and, and and sorry did you go to public school i did i went to a public high school holy fuck okay uh, great <laughs> i have these two friends so we've talked about starting a podcast called abstinence only education <laughs> because that's what we got we did not get sex ed I talk about this in some of my blogs. For all of the awful things that were told to me about my sexuality in church, it was like 10 times worse in abstinence class. We got it starting in like sixth grade, you know, the turn of puberty. It happened for a segment of health class. So we got it every year. I may be remembering wrong, but I want to say it was like every year for like two weeks. Two, two full weeks, weeks in public school? Like funded by the state. Thanks, George <sighs> Bush. I mean, we bring him back, it would be better than this situation. But still, I'm pretty sure it was like the Reagan era to George Bush that instilled all of this in schools. So 
I, I just looked up something, and I, I don't want to, you know, I fucking don't care for George Bush, but like we gotta we gotta get our facts straight here because I don't I love I love fake news. So in 1996, Bill Clinton wrote Welfare Reform Act into law, which also gave us funding for public education and sex education. Specifically, Bill Clinton put in the law abstinence class. Not George Bush. Not George Bush. Ironically you enough, heard it, here first. it was Bill Clinton who asked for abstinence. That is crazy. What's that crazy. act called? Tell but me I'm again. I'm glad I know so I that. Welfare Reform Act. I'll put it in the show notes. Let's all read the Welfare Reform Act together this week. $50 million <laughs> in funds to school-based sex education programs exclusively, focus exclusively on abstinence. What? <laughs> That is, here's the problem with that. If the idea is kids are going to get what they're going to get at home, but at least at school, let's just tell them don't do it. Like that would, I could sort of understand that logic. But when you live in America and most people, especially in rural areas in the Midwest and South, are not getting talked to about sex by their parents at all, the only sex education they're getting is don't do it. That's a problem. Agreed. It doesn't make sense to me. Like I was literally taught, I mean, I put this in my blog, so whatever. When I lost my virginity, we used a condom. But I was told in abstinence class that condoms are only like 70% effective. 70% is not a real statistic, right? <laughs> no, it's absolutely not a fucking real statistic. That's ridiculous. Yeah. That is a fucking 1940s or 50s throw a tarp over yeah. your Johnson fucking oh it might come <laughs> off it might not like the technology's there now it's 99% effective yeah so when he asked me when he was like should I get a condom I didn't even know how to answer because I was like I, I, I don't know should you like I guess yeah I do so it scary. sure it's fucking oh, right it's terrifying even afterwards I bought plan b because I just was like oh I could get pregnant because I wasn't on birth control you assumed that you were going to get pregnant anyways because you had no fucking idea how yeah. science yeah. actually works like, because you weren't taught anything about the reproductive system and how the science behind it fucking works. Well, and they didn't even like, here are a few of the memories I have. We had to watch this video where this girl was holding a tomato and she was taking pencils. I'm not kidding you. And she would tell a story about some guy she had sex with. And every time she finished the story, she'd stab the tomato. The tomato was supposed to represent our heart or like our fucked up hymen. I don't know. Symbolism for something. And at the end of the video, it was just this obliterated tomato. Do you really want to be the obliterated tomato? You know, my joke is, well, joke's on you guys. Obliterated tomatoes make ketchup and it's fucking delicious. So. And spaghetti sauce. And spaghetti sauce. And marinara. <laughs> so many good things. <laughs> Who the fuck? People are so amazing and extraordinary. This is not in a great way, in my opinion, th that someone in their brain was like, I know what propagandish visual I can conceive of. Oh, it's not ish. It's yeah, full but propaganda. Like, can you imagine a brain going, if I devastate a tomato in reference to sex, this is going to terrify a generation of little girls. That's crazy. <laughs> and the other thing is, it was never about the boys, ever. Every situation was always about the girl and how we were going to be tarnished and damaged in some way. I had girls on my Instagram one time just send in the metaphors they got in abstinence class, and they were so <gasps> disturbing and jarring. I was just like, oh my gosh. So another one of them was like their wedding day, and they were giving each other shoes. 
and the guy gave his wife a brand new pair of shoes. He was like, like I could have worn these so many times. They're so great. They're such good shoes, but I wanted to save them just for you, just for tonight. And then she opens her box and hers are like completely gross and damaged. And she's like, I know I should have waited, but like everybody on the football team wanted to try them out. Oh my God. I am not kidding you. And I was in seventh grade. I was in seventh grade watching these videos and this was my sex education. Meanwhile, the boys were just like, I don't know, doing circle jerks in the locker room. Like they weren't getting told anything. I didn't know how to put in a tampon. Like I didn't learn any of that, but I learned what it meant to have too much sex. But you don't even know how to have just sex. You know what I'm saying? There's such like a thing you, that's yeah, too much. Exactly. You don't have too much, but exactly. you don't even know what that is yeah. yet. So yeah. it's fucking frightening. Right, it's a bad idea. Uh, and then once we got to high school, we had to like watch a scene from Friends and we had to count how many times there were like sexual references in the scene. And the teacher was basically like, see, you guys are inundated with it every single day. So even without your permission, you're just going to be thinking about it all the time. Never mind the hormones and blah, 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 blah. So you have to really take control of your thoughts, yada, yada. And then another one was, I call it the, the sex ghosts. It's like every sexual partner you've ever been with lives in your bed. And then when you finally get married and you're sharing your life with a person, like the ghosts of your yester sex is just like looming. I'm like, that sounds like a party to me. I know. That's great. I'm like, <laughs> that everybody's got their preferences. Just full fucking incubus succubus. Let's fucking get this fucking orgy started. Let's go. You teach her. He teaches him. She teaches them. And then we fucking make this thing happen. If you think about it that way, you're like, oh, yeah, this is all leading to this moment. And that's what I would tell these kids, too, is like, yo, listen, all these people you fucked before are informing up me now. And as good as this is or isn't, we blame them. It's the sex ghost. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, ghost in the back. You fucked this up for me, sex ghost. It's like, uh, I want to say like a Scrooge style Christmas Carol version of like sex ghost. It needs to be an animated series on like a Adult Swim. 100% it needs to be animated. We can just add it to an episode of Big Mouth. Yes, exactly. Yeah, totally. Oh, right. God. I mean, that's pretty yeah. much what it is. I wish I wish that that was my fucking high school yeah. sex ed class because that, that fucking that's shit is amazing. That's what I always say. You poke fun at it, but you make it serious. Oh, yeah, God. these kids that I used to babysit are now 13 and almost 16. And I talk to their mom. I'm like, have you let them watch the show Big mm. Mouth? They should watch that show. It's the most informative And it's so funny. That is what every middle schooler or high schooler should be learning about puberty and all your feelings, not fucking abstinence. We signed cards. I think I have a virginity card somewhere. Jesus Christ. Okay, listen, I want to go to, because we've been talking about this amazing shit, I want to go to one of our listeners uh, who has a question for us. Hi, Maddie Joe. My name is Heather, and I am currently living in Denver. I have quite a few questions. My first question is, does your family ever debate you on your blog topics or your blog posts? My next question, have you ever taken any of your posts down because you changed your mind? Ooh, those are good questions. Mm-hmm. So it's a complicated relationship with my blog and my family. I sort of (laughs) started my blog for my sister. Like, yes, I started it because of marriage equality. Like that kind of sparked it. But so I have two older sisters and an older brother, a sister that's two years older than me, a sister that's four years older than me, and my brother is six years older than me. So my sister, who's like right above me, the more conversations I was having with her, the more I was just like, wow, 
there has got to be like so many more women like her who are just like really fucking confused Mm. from everything that we are raised with. So maybe at least me being in New York City and having the freedom to explore this, which like Mm -hmm. culturally they don't because so much of what I'm talking about is still so frowned upon. Maybe I can start to shed light on what I'm experiencing. Maybe that can help them, whatever. So I think she really enjoys my blog (laughs) because it helps her a lot. (laughs) There is my older sister who got married super young. She got married when she was 21. She's different than me and my other sisters. She never really fell into a lot of the traps that I feel like church really projected in terms of like the purity movement and all of that. But she kind of has her own issues and more like traditional outlook on things that... I think sometimes people can read my stuff and think that I am like anti-marriage and anti getting married young. And I mean, like, I'm not 100% that way. If you're getting married because you think that's what you have to do and that's like your only choice. And if you're especially getting married only because you want to have sex, which I think a lot of people don't even really have the wherewithal at 21, 22 to even know that's why they're doing it, then yeah, it do not support young marriage. But I don't think that was her specific case. But anyways, I think she Mm. feels targeted in a lot of my stuff, even though I'm not talking to her. So she will talk to me about some of the things, even in regards to like sexual trauma, we really disagree on how to go about that, how to go about like healing in a lot of that, which there's no right way to, but I would say I'm the first one in my family to really actually seek help. Mm -hmm. So I think there's Mm -hmm. some like resistance there. My brother, (laughs) he used to proofread my blog because he's a writer, but now he's like, doesn't want to and it's it's a conflict so I don't even think he reads my blog anymore and then there are my parents my parents did read my blog up until a point and then my dad was like you know what I don't want to read about my daughter's sex life I'm just not going to read this anymore (laughs) totally so he has kind of stopped and I haven't had these conversations with him in a really long time because when I'm with them I don't want to fight so I don't bring up a lot of this stuff but I would like to have these conversations because My dad gets really upset with me when we talk about theological things. And I get upset back at him because he treats me like I'm still his little girl who like doesn't know as much as Mm. him. And I'm like, no, dad, I actually know a fuckload about this. And you should see me as intellectual equal at this point. Like I'm almost 30 years old. That is kind of a headbutting My mom is kind of like, does whatever my dad does. (laughs) So she doesn't really read it anymore um, because she's like, I don't want to know about your sex life. But she will engage with me in conversations, especially the year that I talked about being assaulted. That really sparked some Mm. really difficult conversations in my family. Yeah, we haven't like hugely revisited them Mm -hmm. because they're hard conversations to have. But through that, I found out some really dark shit that had gone on in my family. Like not just my immediate family, but my extended family. It's like the floodgates, right? Oh, totally. It's like one secret. And then, yep, yep. so that was another thing. As I started to come out about like my experience, every person around me was like, oh yeah, yeah. Like I've been raped. I've been raped. And I was like, what? Yeah, right. (laughs) Why is no one talking about this? We all have this shared experience, you know, and it wasn't until me too that women started coming out and talking about it. So anyways, I did write a piece about this called The Fourth Commandment. And it's all about like, love thy father and mother. 
And Mm -hmm. I did grow up in a very specific situation in that my parents are very laissez-faire. Like as much as they tried to raise us with certain morals, they are not interested in micromanaging us. They were like ready for us to be grown ass adults and get out of their way by the time we were 18. (laughs) So I'm very, really fortunate in that because I have been able to provide for myself financially Mm. and all of these other ways since I was 18, which has given me the freedom to grow as a person in a way that I want. Mm -hmm. That's been great, too. I have to say, as someone who like watches your social media and reads your stuff, I feel like I know your parents, first of all, (laughs) right? Like there's such prevalent characters Mm -hmm. in all of the stuff that you post. And I really appreciate how challenging this topic is and how much grace you give them. I can imagine it is an incredibly tricky line. Mm -hmm. And I love that the way they're represented presented to people who don't know them is fabulously beautiful, complicated, but loving representation of them. I think that's a very masterful thing that you do with uh, all your writing. Thank you. They will be so happy to hear that. Oh, totally. Yeah. (laughs) Because I think that's a big, I mean, my mom has talked to me about that when I first started writing. Most of my readers were in the 417 area code. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. my dad would like go to the grocery store and the clerk is like, so uh, Jareen Maddie's latest vlog, you know, and my <laughs> oh, dad's no. like, yeah, I did. Sure did. And it became this point of conversation when my parents were out and about. And for my mom, who's an incredibly private, introverted person, that was really hard because she was like, I just wonder if people think we were raising you poorly and blah, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. And so they'll be really happy to hear that. Yes. I feel like I do a pretty good job of making it clear that you guys were not Certain ideas that we were taught in church, my mom would kind of negate. So, for example, like I talk about how my mom was like pro-masturbation. She was like, you, you you should be doing that. Don't listen to your Bible study leaders, you know? So, yeah, they're, they're really great. I want to talk, too, about the second part of that question, the taking down of stuff. Yeah. Because I think for people who are listening, who are making their own stuff and publishing and using all these platforms to distribute their own content, this is a pretty interesting conversation. And what I think is tricky about what we do, you with your blog, us on the podcast, you have these situations that like Heather asked about, right? Like Mm -hmm. what happens where you changed your mind? Do you take that post down? I think that if I just want to get really specific, it's this new form of entertainment that blends your personal opinions with the entertainment. And they're sort of like, you can't unwind them because people come to your content because it is intertwined with your personal opinions. Mm -hmm. So changing your mind, like what do you do when you have changed your mind? Do you take down the piece of content? The challenge you've talked about before, which I would like to hear more about, where the people around you are all of a sudden caught up in your content. And, you know, what happens when they ask you not to involve them in it? And third, uh, because this is something we just experienced here, we had a guest ask us to take stuff out of a podcast episode because they didn't feel like it was appropriate or on brand for them. Yeah. But there was this conflict of like, but that's part of our creative. You know what I mean? That's what sustains a you know piece over time. So... What's your thoughts on that? Because I feel like you're in the fucking thick of that issue, right? Yes. I love these questions because I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't ever talk about this, but this is something like that is like very tumultuous for me. (laughs) I have taken things down. So my most recent post is about monogamy being a choice, not a reward. Mm. I am in a committed relationship now. 
I'm super happy in love, whatever, blah, 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 blah. But I was kind of always taught that you have to behave a certain way if you want to get certain things out of life, which is true, except that this was in regards to getting married. You need to be a certain kind of woman in order to be desired by a good man. And your reward is marriage. And singleness is a plague. And if you're single past 23... It's probably because you did something wrong, like go to second base with a dude or like didn't read your Bible enough. You know, that's really what was so pervasive. And you felt that in hindsight, that desperation in college girls of like, I got to find him. I got to find him. I got to find him. Because then like, what does it mean about me if I don't get married right after college? You know, I struggled with that a lot in my first couple of years in New York City. So now at 29, being like in my first real committed relationship since I graduated college. I'm like, knowing everything I know about myself, this is 100% just a choice I made. This is not a reward. And for a lot of women who are still one foot in, one foot out of the evangelical world and like trying to figure shit out for themselves, they still have this like underlying belief that because they are not married, there is something wrong with them. Something deeply wrong that God has not rewarded them with a husband. That post in my first, second, and third draft was all about the idea of like a Proverbs 31 woman and a hashtag godly guy. And I like listed out things that a godly guy is supposed to be and how I no longer, I can't even stomach the idea of even having a conversation with a guy like that, let alone marrying him. And it's okay to have your own preferences. But the point of that was to, it was to be funny and make light of it, but it was incredibly insulting as well. So like the four characteristics I gave a godly guy, he has to love God more than he loves anything, even you. So if he gets to a point where he loves you more than God, he's got to break up with you, uh, is a counselor at Canacut camps. Canacut camps are like, they're religious. Give it a Google. It's interesting. They're religious. Some might say cult. The can of cult. That's what I call it. And see, again, like I even feel bad saying that because a lot of my friends from high school married guys who work for Canacuck. So I felt if I posted that. Oh, and then the fourth thing was like, watches porn, but won't finger you. Like. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, exactly. I was like, this is going to get a laugh, but this is going to really rub my friends who are married to guys who did this thing really the wrong way. And I have met their husbands and they're really sweet, well-intentioned men, even though I strongly dislike the organization they work for. And I sort of hate the message they're pushing, but whatever, that's just me. And so, I mean, now I'm telling everyone about the post, so whatever. But yeah, I took it down. And I was like, let me redraft this. I had a post about bacterial vaginosis that I was like trying to educate people on. And I was trying to say lots of times when women have something in their like genital regions, they're made to feel like dirty and like they're responsible for it. But turns out BV is most commonly caused by lack of penal hygiene. And I was just saying that as like across the board, like you don't have to feel bad if you get BV. You don't have to feel bad if you get yeast infections. You don't even have to feel bad if you get like syphilis or gonorrhea. Like usually it's the dude's fault. But then Toby, my boyfriend, watched it and he was like, what the fuck, Maddie Joe? This is going to make everyone think I have a dirty dick. And I was like, yeah, I should have thought about that. You know, I was just given the facts. 
like I wasn't saying this was specific to me necessarily. And he was like, but you are talking about you because you have BV. So like people are going to make that correlation even if you don't mean it. And I was like, okay, like I can see. And so then I took that down. But so then there's this fine line. I used to kind of have like, I don't care about these are private details that I'm sharing for the sake of like helping people. And I also know it's entertaining to them. Now I'm in this place where it's like, I kind of understand that privacy aspect, you know, intimacy being important and not wanting to just like make anyone look bad because we're all just kind of doing our best. So that has made it really complicated for me to share without a lot of reservation. And I'm kind of always constantly judging myself when I'm writing because I'm like, is this like painting them in a light that's like unfair? But then it's like I can't produce anything because I'm just thinking of every possible way people could read it. That has made it really, really difficult. We have a really good solution for that, though. Okay. It's something we've talked about on the podcast. You just need a nom de plume. Like, instead of Lin-Manuel Miranda, it's Blim Blam Slam Miranda. <laughs> or like, for me, right. instead of Jessica Ryan, if I'm working non-union, you know what I mean? I don't actually do that. It's Messica Danderson. Yeah, right. right? No one ever knows. So you just need you just need another name for the people. Oh, I do. I 100% do. I <laughs> nickname everybody in my blogs. It's all anonymous, like whatever. So that's the thing is like they people unless you know me personally, you're not going to know who these people are, you know. But again, I mean, we heard the ones that are closest to us, you know what I mean? So they're the ones who are automatically going to assume that this is about right. them. I feel right. like as an as a listener or someone who is taking in information. For me personally, I go, I can cut myself out of that equation. Mm -hmm. Even if I was close to you or if my wife wrote something about this, I'd be like, oh, that's kind of fucked up. But well, I mean, it's your story. So you whatever, you know what I mean? That's what the common person doesn't, like a person who's not a writer doesn't really get. Like they don't understand this is my story. This is my perspective. I had a post the other day. Someone asked me how I felt about the gay spectrum. And I was like, well, I think it's technically called the Kinsey scale. And my answer was something like, Yeah, it's totally real. Everybody falls somewhere on the gay to straight spectrum. And I made the comment, we're all a little gay. And I was kind of liking it to everyone's a little bit racist, you know? And I was doing it for comedy. I was obviously being hyperbolic, but it is also true that most people fall somewhere on the spectrum. I don't think most of the population is 100% gay or 100% straight. And I had a girl say to me, like, it's actually not true that everyone's a little bit gay. And I think this is a poor representation of the queer community. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I was just trying to be funny. Like, I was obviously I'm being a slightly hyperbolic, you know, like, it's stuff like that, that in 2019, it's just gonna happen. Like, people are gonna be offended or rubbed the wrong way. One thing I've learned with my writing is, I can't tell my readers what to think. I have to give the information and give the story and then let them take what they will. And when I talk to people who read my blog, Mm -hmm. it is crazy what they pull from it. Like the differences. Yeah. People taking what they will from it and you as an artist or a creator having to apologize for the shit that you're saying or the science that you're dropping or the facts that you're saying out loud. Mm -hmm. I as a creative, I'm like, okay, yeah, I apologize for thing when I disrespect somebody, right? If I disrespected you in some way that I deem worthy of disrespect, I'd be like, hey, listen, man, I see that you're you're having a a conniption about this or you're having a a visceral reaction. Mm -hmm. Explain that to me because what my intention was Mm -hmm. one thing. Your reaction is a solely unbased on what I've written reaction 
because it's some personal shit that you're dealing with or whatever you glean from this information that I've given. Right. And I'm not going to retract that. I'm not going to walk that back because I meant what I said and I said what I said. I'm not saying deal with it, but I'm also not saying I'm sorry for it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And especially as a writer, yeah. like, I feel like once you put your shit out there, it's like, it's it, out there. Yeah, it just you is. You know, like if you want, if you, and again, like the nom de plume, or if like you want to walk it back at some point, you write another piece and you say, hey, listen, that piece from 2017 or whatever it was, I've, I've rethought some things. I want to readdress these issues. And I think that's responsibility of a well-adjusted human being is to say, hey, listen, I'm mm. a flawed person, right? Human beings are flawed. That's what mm-hmm. we are in our nature. I grow, I learn as a human. I'm constantly yeah. evolving. You would hope, yes. <laughs> right? I'm not stuck in one thing. Like I said what I said, I was 29, now I'm 39, mm-hmm. and I have a completely right. different outlook on it. And age has given me that wisdom, where age has given me that perspective. Because at that point, this was my truth, Yeah, right? That's how I felt. And I can read some of my old writing and go like, ooh, right. like, oh my gosh, you know? Mm-hmm. Gosh, someone asked me, um, have I ever had to, to admit when I was wrong about something? Mm. And I brought up my stories about me and my ex-boyfriend from college. I can read a lot of those and realize that I was putting a lot of blame on him and taking so much of what happened between us personally. And in hindsight, like he was just really fucking depressed. And he was also just Mm. as confused about everything as I was. And I gave him zero grace. I was just like, you're expected to be perfect and act perfect because you're a man. And now I'm the one who feels badly because you slut shamed your girlfriend. It's like, of course he slut shamed me. He didn't know what else to do. He was just as religious as I was at 19, was taught that it's always like my fault if I'm not the one stopping it. Mm -hmm. You know, like he was just going based off what he was taught too. And like Mm -hmm. mental health, we had no idea about mental health. You know, like I just gave him no grace. He was so stressed. Mm -hmm. He was so depressed and was just as confused as I was. Mm -hmm. And in those writings, I'm like, oh my God, I bet he read that and was like, I hate this girl. (laughs) I'm not going to go back and like correct my blog because it's how I felt at the time. And I can see how much growth I've had since I was 23. But I can say I'm sorry to him for not giving him a little more grace and for putting all the blame on him. It's a crazy time we're living in as people who create things because we are literally making our business like our growth yeah. like over a long period of time. I mean, it's you're putting it all out on display. It's literally at the foundation of your business and your people who follow you and subscribe to you. Mm-hmm. And there's no like guide for that. Mm-hmm. And, like we went to school to get BFA. We can learn to do musical theater, right? right. Like, and we can learn the business if you follow the subscribe path. But like there is no fucking playbook for this part of our careers in this new world where we – are literally selling our personal story. experience right. story yeah. and your, your story, growth yeah. and experience and development. I think this <laughs> is also, I think, I think totally. social media and all of these new things, and I'm just having this idea now is like, it's a form yeah. of therapy, right? So you're going and you're selling mm. yourself or you're not selling yourself. You're presenting yourself to the masses, hoping that someone will glom onto whatever you're saying and then you will promote that, right? It's not unlike a mm-hmm. product, in that I created something that I need so that I'm going to give it to the masses and then they, someone might need it as well. You know what I mean? It becomes, it becomes therapeutic mm. in a way from a business standpoint. You're like, oh, look at this shit. I'm, I'm actually going through my own kind of personal therapy, letting myself um, say things and do things and be truthful or honest. And then you have other people being like, holy fuck, mm-hmm. they're doing it too. They're being honest. They're being creative. They're being that's what I want to do. And then they do it and then everybody else does it. And I feel like we're in that place right now where we do have an outlet 
uh, via like social media and things like that, or the internet and whatnot, that people like like-minded people or people who want to know how to deal with feelings or thoughts or these are, you know, whatever, this is my idea. I want to like a symbiotic relationship with our community. And then everybody comes together and they're like, yeah. holy fuck, we can all share that. And it's like this weird, like collective conscious, um, place for people to like kind of like yeah, share their shit really in a weird a way community, like, you know on the internet yeah to round back to what you were saying earlier about the room for interpretation that mm-hmm. comes around these conversations mm-hmm. is really mm-hmm. tricky and scary and i was thinking about this this weekend because we had someone take umbrance i used umbrance again i think that is two episodes in a row <laughs> <laughs> Andrew and I, we make dirty jokes all the time, always, right? The history of Andrew and I's relationship is incredibly long, incredibly safe, incredibly boundaried, and all the things, right? But I guess for someone who's just starting to listen, and then someone just tunes in and hears us trading these jokes, I was thinking the other day, like, what happens like later on down the road when someone wants to like get up all in our business? You know what I mean? We're doing a digitally produced and community-based piece of content. And someone's like, does Andrew's wife, Jillian, ever like get worried about the way they joke and stuff? And obviously, we're not worried about it because mm-hmm. we know it's just our friendship. Like, it's part of our creative on our, our podcast, you know? It's Andrew and I's relationship and our coffee date with each other at the top of the podcast is a really important part of this. And our relationship is what it is. And it's been like that forever. But then people like start getting in the cracks and making their own decisions about yeah. stuff. And I don't know. I just don't know. How do you prep for yeah. all that? I have no answers for it. I just, it's something I've been thinking there, about. And there isn't. And what's tough is that a lot of my friends, like so many of my friends from back home, are still very religious. They are married, they all have kids. And again, if you don't see nuance in my writing, you probably think I'm just anti all of that, you know? And I'm not anti all of that. I'm anti doing it because you feel like you have to or like you don't have another choice. And I'm also just anti women feeling like they're not allowed to be sexually fulfilled, which Mm. unfortunately, I think if you haven't done the work to undo so much of the conditioning we grew up with in that religious setting, in that community, you probably are not having a sexually fulfilled experience in your marriage. Like, I can't say that for sure, but I have gathered based on conversations that that is perhaps what's going on. So when they're reading my writing, they're seeing it like a totally different lens than a single woman Mm. who is from the evangelical background. They're seeing it as an attack and they're going to immediately be reactive or avoidant. And I can't take responsibility. Mm -hmm. I had to learn pretty early on that it's like, it's just not my responsibility to babysit anyone's reaction to my writing. And the other thing is, is I just say, look, I mean, they're still following my content pretty Mm. closely. So there must be something about it that's resonating or they could just like not, not, you know, Mm. my friends who I have expressed that they disagree with me. I'm like, "Eh, well, then you don't have to follow me. Like that's an option. I tell you what, we have a lot of a lot more questions um, that we so don't have many. time for. <laughs> so so we're going to do them on Instagram this week. I have right. you answer them on Instagram. Right. But we have one more that I think is a really good question to close out on. Okay. And I'm actually right. really excited to hear your answer to it. Okay. <laughs> 
Hey Maddie, Kelsey here. I was wondering, what are you most insecure about? Oh, what am, what am I most insecure about? I feel like you open up a can of worms with that kind of question. <laughs> for me, for me anyways, that oh would be just a can of worms. You know, I think it's a good sign that I have to think about this. Mm. I don't have like an answer right off the top of my head. I think, I don't know if this is like an insecure security as much as it's a concern that oscillates, I guess. Like I have some times where it's like really heightened and sometimes where I'm like, nah, I'm a badass. Is my success as an actor and writer mm. for me mm-hmm. personally. And I work so hard to find this this like line. I am doing what I know I was designed to do. I know that I am living with purpose. I am doing the things that I am good at and that I am passionate about. And I would like to monetize those things. <laughs> I do not want to have to do a side job for the rest of my life. I'm not like going to do that forever. It's just like when I joined the union, like I could have not joined the union and maybe gotten way more work as an actor. But I was just like, you know what? I am too old to get up at five in the morning and stand outside fucking Pearl Studios and just to like mm-hmm. maybe make $300 a week. Like I'm not doing it anymore. Even though I know acting is like a long-term game and it's a marathon, not a sprint, I am doing this to be a, a professionally paid actor. Mm-hmm. And so I get insecure about the fact that like, even though I know I'm very talented and I am very motivated and I'm very on top of my shit, I do stuff every single day behind the scenes that nobody has any idea I'm doing to work towards <laughs> that goal of being fully financially stable from my acting and my writing, I am like insecure about the fact that it hasn't happened yet. And I'm still so far away from that happening. Mm -hmm. Like I'm 29 and I don't have a co-star role yet. I don't have a guest star role yet. And I know age is just a thing, but it's like, I want to be able to financially provide for myself in a way that would allow me the freedom to have a family. And like, I can't unless like I start booking TV and movies, (laughs) you know? So I would say that's it. And then my inability to creatively produce consistently, like my creative process, I still Mm. in all of my efforts have not figured out how to hone it. I will commit time to writing every single week. And then I've spent 15 hours and I'm like, well, this is all bullshit. And none of it's good. And, (laughs) and it's so frustrating. And then so I think, how am I ever supposed to write a fucking book? This is going to take me a million years. And then by then I'm going to be totally irrelevant. No one's going to give a shit what I have to say. (laughs) You know, those are the things I think, those are the things that I'm like very much insecure about or like worried about. I understand that. I absolutely understand all of those things. And as I get older, I find myself becoming more irrelevant in my mind and it's like pushing for ways in which I've never in my life actually Mm. pushed before, like in directions that I've pushed that I'm like, I need Mm. to force something. You know what I mean? Like I'm not a person who forces shit. Like I don't, it just, it, it, I let it happen Mm. and I walk in that direction or I see something and I walk in that direction and that's just the kind of guy I've always been. And getting back to that like mentality for me has been extremely difficult Mm. of late. Mm. 
of like finding your voice, your identity. And if I don't mean to like tell you this as you get older, because I've got you by like a decade, it gets worse. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I, and, and I look back on that and I say that only with a small grain of salt because I look back sometimes and I just don't take stock in the shit mm, that I've actually oh, totally. done because it seemed like stepping yeah. stones to me. And I think that we all do this as human beings. Like you don't realize that you've actually made a difference. You've actually had an impact. You've done the things that you said you were going to do and you've done them in an order in which the universe or whatever you believe in has put them in front of you. Yeah. And if I actually look at the body of work from somebody else's lens, I'm like, fuck, man. They're like, you're fucking, you made you're it. fucking yeah. doing it. You're like doing yeah. the thing. And then like I'm inside of it going, yeah. I ain't done shit yet. Because I'm where I'm supposed to be, when I'm supposed to be there. I'm doing the work. And as long as you're doing the work, again, this is our mantra on here. Do work. Do, do the me. fucking work. Do you. Do you. Yeah. And do the work. And I say to myself every day, I'm like, do yeah. the work. I will throw this in as well. It's something I have learned and also as like I've gotten older that I will tie back into what you were saying earlier, Maddie Joe, about what you learned as a kid. What I heard you say is that I haven't met these benchmarks that I have been taught are required to get to this goal that I want, right? And not saying that it's true for some people. The thing that I try to remind myself in those instances, because I live my entire life outside of those sort of traditional yeah, creative yeah. benchmarks. So it's really scary because you're sort of like living in this soft skills area where you don't get to report to people, I've done this and this and this, which means I've been this successful. But here's what I try to remind myself. Getting a co-star might not mean anything for you anymore. Like it cannot mean anything I have friends who have tons of co-stars who took the path they were supposed to take in LA. They've been on huge fucking TV shows and have not worked in yeah. years. Yeah. yeah. So that's number one. And this is not just for you, by the way. This is for everyone who's listening. If you can see yourself reflected in what Maddie Joe said, I think it's helpful to try to work on rewiring your brain a little bit to really understand that doing something the way someone else told you you had to do it isn't always the best answer right? Because the truth of the matter is, and uh, this is going back to what Andrew said, if you just make the things and you challenge yourself every day to do a little bit better, right? And you find a way to just keep making sure you put things out, even if it's a mishmash of things. Someday you're writing or someday you're just fucking auditioning or you know shooting your short film, whatever it is. You just keep making things, right? All that actually needs to happen is one person needs to read your blog and say, I option this, you know? You can get all the mm -hmm. fucking co-stars you want in your entire life, but that's yeah. all that needs to happen for your entire life to change, right? It's harder because there's less control around that version of things, but I think it's yeah. just as an important thing to remember as the other stuff, you know? Definitely. And I, what's interesting is that I, before I was like in a relationship and I was kind of like doing my own thing, is I didn't have anyone that I felt like maybe was like measuring my success. Oh, he isn't doing that, but mm -hmm. I feel that, well, you right? You feel responsibility to someone, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 I'm like, now totally. we're in partnership. And so that means something different than me just like doing this on my own. And he's like, so proud of me and super supportive. And yet I find myself being like, oh shit, I have to do this. I have to get there. Or I'm a shit partner and like I have nothing to contribute. <laughs> He's not putting any of that pressure on me. This is 100% me doing that. But it's kind of like, you know, a mirror in a way, I guess. Listen, I've been with my wife for 10 years and I wake up every single day being like, I'm not doing enough. I'm not going to like, I'm going to go fucking kick ass today. And then I'm going to have something cool to come home and tell my wife. Uh -huh. 
You know what I mean? Like you constantly do that with the person that you're obsessed with. Like I do that because I'm mm. obsessed with my wife, yeah. but I also want to like prove something to her every day that I'm worth it. Contribute. And I'm like, that's what, yeah. that's what a great partner is. So I'm like, I'm hearing those things coming from you. And like, if you want to achieve something, yeah. you fucking keep doing the work, do the shit. And if that person, they're going to mirror yeah. what you're feeling. They're going to be that person for you. That's like, you see more of what you want in them and you push yes. each other constantly up the hill. Yeah. Good luck. Thanks. Sappy shit Andrew says, put it in the fucking can, put it in the can. <laughs> oh, sappy shit Andrew says. That's so good. <laughs> so Maddie Jo, if people want to find you mm-hmm. on the internet, read your blog, what's going on? And films, you've got short films yeah. fucking coming out your butt i don't know why i <laughs> couldn't come up with anything Short better to say coming out the butt. <laughs> you know what we started the conversation with poo we're ending it with butts it's full circle Boom. we gotta finish so, it the most present place you can find me is on instagram at maddie joe cowzert m-a-t-t-i-e-j-o-c-o-w-s-e-r-t because no one knows how to spell my name. Subscribe to my blog, maddiejoecowzert.com backslash blog. And then the short films and stuff, those will just be, I'll be sharing all of that hey, listen, on Instagram. Maddie Joe, uh, I want to say thank you. And everything that you've done today has like opened up so many more questions for me. And I, I think that like having these conversations is very, very important. You've got to open your mind up. You've got to at least have the conversations, right? If you don't have the information, you're just ignorant. And Maddie Joe, it's just been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. We've gone so far over time because you're so fucking interesting. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I was like, we're going really over time. I hope that's okay because I'm like really enjoying myself. There's always so. time for this. There's always time for these conversations. Yes. Appreciate you. Here's what I'm left with. I feel really lucky. I really don't have any like touch points with that world that Maddie Joe lived in. I never had those pressures on me. Also really grateful to know in such depth, like what she went through, what she continues to work through, like trying to figure out her identity and the grace with which she approaches the topic because not everyone is bad just because they believe one thing or another. And I just, I really do feel really grateful for that conversation we just had. I think so too. And I think uh, to the, to your point of grace, you know, to the way you handle especially family members and things like that is especially difficult Mm -hmm. and it is harrowing to me that she's been able to navigate that again with such grace and humility Mm -hmm. and no anger at all you know like there's no anger in her there's no animosity if she has it it's at therapy right (laughs) yeah exactly but don't alienate the people that you come from you know what I mean? I think that was a big takeaway for me is like, don't alienate your family because that's they're very important. And I think it's also important to reiterate and, and also like really think about the challenge and the difficulty because it wasn't her family blanket, right? Her mom was sort of like in her own small ways, was going against what, telling Maddie to not do what she was taught at church. No matter what, yeah. everyone was sort of thinking for themselves in their own way. And they obviously raised an amazing yeah. woman who is extremely thoughtful. And I'm so glad like has been able to use creativity and storytelling to like make something for herself out of it. It's incredible. But I think that's maybe part of the reason why I kind of got into this too, is that, you know, there, I was, I didn't have the words, right? Right. You don't have the words sometimes. Mm. And to be able to creatively express yourself is a way to find the words that you don't have, the vocabulary you don't have. And I have a really sort of strange, I guess, like wrap ups after everything that we've just heard. I'm thinking back to Maddie when she was asked what makes her most insecure. And I just want to say this out loud for anyone who's listening, 
who like resonated with that, right? Who feels like Maddie Joe? When we called on a suggestion, we do Suggestion Sunday on social media and we ask everybody to send in like the cool people they're following. Maddie Joe wrote me back on Instagram and she was like, and I quote, do I count? Can I be on your podcast? And I was like, oh yes, duh, of course. What happened with this woman who is worried she hasn't done enough is that we got the most questions we've ever gotten for any episode. So of course she counts. And I hope that if you're listening and you're worried about that same thing, you can remember, follow your voice, tell your story, be ballsy like Maddie and ask. You know what I mean? Ask to be included on stuff. Look what happens. And I have no right. doubt this will be one of the most listened to episodes because I think there are a lot of people who can who need to hear this story told. Guys, it's Sunday today. It might be Green Monday tomorrow. <sighs> I can't even say this in a dejected manner, but I want to because I hate Andrew. Don't, <laughs> don't forget to follow Maddie Joe on Instagram, <laughs> which, as uh, she also spelled out, is M A T T I E J O. C-O-W-S-E-R-T, but I'll put it in the show notes for y'all. And you can subscribe to her blog at maddiejoecowsert.com slash blog. I read her blog. It is hilarious, horrifying, amazing, astounding. I could go on. You should definitely subscribe to that. And you know what? If you want to follow us, you head on over to Twitter and follow us at TM2C Podcast. Ask your questions for our upcoming guests. You can also let us know about someone smart and cool that you follow online that you think that we should talk to. (laughs) That's it for this episode of Take Me to Coffee. Oh, now it's your turn, friends. One. Check out new episodes every Thursday on your favorite podcasting skibbity-pap. <laughs> if you don't know what that's a reference to, we'll put that in the show notes as well. Oh, my God. Can we just put the video up, please? If you guys love cat-on-cat crime, you are going to love <laughs> skibbity-paps. Cat-on-cat crime. It's for real, though. It's for real. It's a real issue. Yes. Okay? Ow. For special bonus content, including being able to see all of our beautiful faces, join our coffee club over at Patreon. That's www.patreon.com slash TM2C podcast. Your contribution helps us continue to make this podcast for you, with you, and completely ad-free. No one tells us what to do. Do, 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 do. Three, download these episodes. Hey, and leave us a review. I have noticed we keep getting some new reviews, and I am really thankful for that, you guys. I know it seems like a pain in the ass and stupid, but it actually really, really helps, and I am really appreciative that people are actually going and leaving us stars and reviews. Thanks, y'all. Yeah, thank you, guys. Leave us a review and tell us what you think about Green Monday. (laughs) See? I got you saying it. I'm Jess. I'm Andrew. And we'll see you next week. Two walk like two out the door, then you have magic.